We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Megan Lynch sitting in tonight on At Your Service here on KMOX. Uh, we got a lot planned for you in the next two hours, and I've got a special guest in with us in studio. So here's what's coming up. Of course, tomorrow is one year since the U.S. Capitol building was breached. Everybody's talking about it, but we want to take a little bit different perspective on that day. We're going to examine how we all took in information about the events as they happened and then after, and then what did we see when it came to social media and in the mainstream news? What did we hear? And what do we want to look at the next time we have a crisis in this country um, to be able to keep perspective and still be informed? So that's first up. We'll tell you more about that in just a moment. Also tonight, we're going to talk about misinformation publishers. One organization has a new report about the spread of false information, who's actually paying for that and how much it's being shared. And then the nine o'clock hour, we're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to talk about the fees that you are paying at your banks, and it really depends on your age. Uh, the younger that you are, the more you're likely to pay a lot of fees at your banks. So we're going to talk with Mark Hamrick of a bank rate about that. Also get a preview of the jobless figures that are due out this week. Of course, November numbers were super disappointing for a lot of people. So we're going to see what the weekly and the monthly numbers were for December. And then a little bit of fun at the end of the nine o'clock hour, we're going to go to the Consumer Electronics Show underway in Los Angeles and see what some of the latest tech being introduced is. But let's get back to looking at January 6th through a different lens. Joining me in studio tonight is Julie Smith. She is a media literacy expert, author of the book, Master the Media, How Teaching Media Literacy Can Save Our Plugged In World. And you may be familiar with the podcast that Julie and I do together. It's What the Media, uh, where we look at how to be a savvy media consumer. So, Julie, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Well, thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. Yeah, I really appreciate you coming into studio to talk about this because this was one thing as, as I've been looking at the timelines that have been published this week and that we heard about, you know, over the weekend from uh, some of the updates that we had on the investigation into January 6th, I was listening to those timelines thinking, okay, what was I doing at that time? When did I first hear about this? Where did I first hear about it? And then where did I turn for information on it? And so as I began to think about it, it was on alerts that came up on my phone Mm -hmm. uh, from both news organizations and social media. Uh, Turned to those first, and then I plugged into a couple of live feeds 
uh, from some what we would call probably mainstream news organizations. Right. The traditionals. Yes. And started watching the coverage there. Uh, You know, and I think that's a, a lot of the story for a lot of people. If they weren't following the president's speech at the time or following the protests at the time. And you know what's interesting, too, is that some people might say, well, I was watching it live streamed, so I got the unedited version. But there are still decisions being made about a live stream as far as uh, when to cut for commercials, where to zoom in and zoom out, where to have the cameras placed. So there are still decisions being made about the information that we receive, even even on C-SPAN, for example, it looks nice and bland, right? But there are still decisions being made. And I think that's something to keep in mind, especially if we're watching something live stream as it happens. I think what's very interesting to see is that we had very narrow views, I think, in some cases of what was happening there. Because if you consider where, for example, where former President Trump was speaking, it was basically a mile away from where some of the protesters were. Right. And and it was two different crowds then that ended up merging and we had those those first breaches at the US Capitol. And I think you bring up the most important point of all. We weren't there. We weren't there. So we depend on those mediums, right, to interpret the events for us. And that is a huge responsibility for them and some did it really well and some did not. So I think it's worth looking back at how those events were covered and what words were chosen to describe those events. Well, and you have to wonder too. You have to wonder too with the the coverage. So how many reporters were dedicated there that day? How many had to scramble to get there after the fact in some cases? Because my recollection of what I was watching was basically one frame of the front of the Capitol building mm-hmm. as it was being breached. And, you know, crowds were going in through the barricades, through the barriers out there and then up the steps and in. And then you were seeing the crowds on the balconies. Right. And that was being cut away to uh, what was happening inside. So you're getting cutaways of what was happening inside the Capitol. It it was frantic coverage Mm -hmm. because I think there were so many things happening at once. They didn't know where to go for the coverage. Yeah. And then the the president had been speaking at a different location. Right. So you were seeing just a very I I remember seeing just very tight shots of that and not really getting a sense of what kind of crowd was there. Okay, so let me let me ask you, Megan, because you're a reporter and you have loads of experience. You're in D.C. that day. What do you do? Where do you go to try to get the best story or the best angle? You're running all over the place. And really, I don't know how you would you you need a team of reporters on something like that. Mm-hmm. You need multiple cameras. And there's still going to be things happening on the fringes that you're not going to know about. For example, if you look at the timeline, there were things happening on other sides of the Capitol. And other state capitals yes. at the same time also, and, yeah. And also there was also, you remember, the pipe bombs. Oh, that's right, that at the DNC reported. and the RNC. Yes. yes, yes. So there were multiple sites that made it very difficult, I think, for people to get a full picture of what was going on immediately. And I think that I think that's OK to not have a full picture immediately, especially because during breaking news events like that, that's when the fakers and the photoshoppers and the drama take hold. And we are um, very emotionally involved and less likely to check things for authenticity. So I, I feel like it's almost OK to not have the whole picture yet because we're too busy processing everything we're consuming. 
Well, when we come back, we need to take a break. But when we come back, I want to talk about how much of what we personally might believe happened there was formed in those opening moments of the visuals that we saw and the reports we read. Um, So be thinking about that while we take a break. I'm Megan Lynch along with Julie Smith joining you this evening on KMOX. Good evening and welcome back. I'm Megan Lynch along with Julie Smith here on KMOX at your service. Tonight we're talking about the events of January 6th of last year. Of course, tomorrow is the one year date of that uh, breach at the U.S. Capitol. And, you know, I say breach. Julie Smith, of course, a media literacy expert. (laughs) We were talking before we went on about word choice. When it comes to these events that happened on January 6th of last year, how important has word choice been? Huge, huge. In fact, we talk about this in class. We'll show a photo from D-Day. And from one point of view, those soldiers were liberators. And from another point of view, they were invaders. And theoretically, they were both, right? So it all depends on word choice and point of view. So here's some ways that the people who were in Washington, D.C. on January 6th of last year were described. Are you ready? Protesters, rioters, insurrectionists, involved in a coup attempt, domestic terrorists, mob, crowd, revolutionaries, patriots, freedom fighters, demonstrators, and Trump supporters. Uh, President, or then President elect Biden called it a siege. So, There are many ways to everyone is referring to the same group of people, but the words that you choose to describe that group tells the receiver of that message everything they need to know about your point of view. Well, and I think it's one thing for witnesses or lawmakers or someone who's partisan to use some of those words. I think what people had a hard time with is that there were members of the media who were immediately defining what had happened right. with their word choice, good or bad, whether it's good or bad. Good or bad, right. So the headlines on the New York Times and the Washington Post called the Capitol's occupants a mob. Anchors on several networks wondered if they were looking at a coup. Uh, CNN's Wolf Blitzer at one point referred to the people as terrorists, So there's a wide range, right? And then um, former President Trump referred to them as, I think, amazing patriots. Yes. So the word choice matters. And I think that it's a great example of the responsibility that media producers have when defining a moment in history for the rest of the public. When we're not there, we are depending on them to tell us and describe to us what the event is like. And it's an enormous responsibility. Enormous. And I think a lot of us felt and saw the same thing, for example, uh, after the events uh, surrounding Michael Brown's death here in St. Louis of how would things be categorized and named and described? Right. Because, um, you know, Michael Brown, the description of Michael Brown's death or murder, depending on what word you choose. Right. It's, It's the same story. He was referred to as an unarmed black teen. Uh, USA Today referred to him as a youth. Uh, another source referred to him as a 240-pound, six-foot-four robbery suspect with marijuana in his system. All of those are true. All of those are true. So 
how do you decide which words to use when you're describing something? And that's where the huge responsibility comes in. And for some news organizations, for example, you were bringing up the Associated Press. Right. They, they have a very distinct style book and definitions of and, and guidelines that, that they follow. They do. The Associated Press style book is essentially the, the quote unquote Bible for journalists and reporters. And actually, when it came to the Michael Brown case, the Associated Press says anyone 18 and up is an adult. But many outlets kind of broke that Associated Press rule to refer to Michael Brown as a teen. He was a teen, but in the Associated Press style book, he should have been referred to as an adult. Um, the AP uses the word um, unrest when property destruction is involved. Um, the AP suggests the word revolt when it implies lawlessness or a rise in rebellion. Um, it's interesting, the different, there's really subtle differences, but the Associated Press gets into the weeds about it. It says protests and demonstrations refer to specific actions such as marches, sit-ins, rallies, or other actions meant to register dissent. But when they get violent, as the one last year did, they refer to it as a riot. In the Associated Press style book, it's a wild or violent disturbance of the peace involving a group of people. The term riot suggests uncontrolled chaos and pandemonium. So I think an argument could be made for any of these words being an accurate description of what happened on January 6th. Well, and I think you did have groups of, you just had crowds. Right. You had people that were there. <laughs> you did have protesters. And then I think fair to say there were rioters sure. based on that definition. Sure. Sure. So how do you classify that enormous group? Right. That's where it gets tricky. And also, you know, we have to bring up the role that social media played in all of this. Because typically in our social media platforms, we hang out with people who think, feel, believe, and vote the way that we do. So we're going to get the descriptions that match our worldview. And that's not always good either. Well, and I know Twitter was a big forum. Facebook was a big forum that mm -hmm. day. But YouTube was also a big Huge. forum that day. Huge. And I think when people talk or complain about social media, I'm using air quotes, social media, they forget about YouTube. YouTube is the behemoth uh, YouTube streams more music than Apple, Spotify, and Pandora put together. More people on YouTube than anything else. I think it's 470 hours of YouTube content, content get uploaded every minute now. So it is where people go for information. And now that you can live stream on YouTube, you can choose whose definition of reality you want to consume. I think the hard thing for a lot of people is when you're watching those videos, you don't see what's outside of the frame. Never. You don't see the 360 view. And I think that's very important to keep in mind. Right. And it's the same with news photographs, too. We don't know what happened the second before it was taken or the second after. It's, it's literally a snapshot in time, right? And so it's important to remember. It's one of those, you know, my favorite media literacy questions. What information is left out? What are, what are we not seeing? What are we not hearing? And I think that's important to remember. You know, it makes me think of a, of a famous image from the day, January 6th. And it was a point when I, I don't remember what it was. Something ignited or there was a flash. Uh, oh, what do they call those things? Oh, I know what you're talking like a about. Flash, I can't think of the name. Not a flash bomb, old. but um, <laughs> it went off. And the, the photographer was apparently taking like a burst. Mm -hmm. uh, she was taking a series of photos, quick photos at the time. And the one that showed it lit up like a fire is the one that got the traffic circulated yeah. a lot. And she was accused of doctoring that photo. 
And she went back and showed kind of the progression of it to show this was not photoshopped. It just happened to be one of many. But even that, based on one that might have been with white light mm-hmm. or right before the the flash went off. It would have looked totally different. Yes. And it did. So the one that was chosen and that was circulated a lot. Was um, the most dramatic. Yes. Because remember, if it's outrageous, it's contagious. <laughs> <laughs> and so if I, I mean, if I run a news organization, I'm going to push that photo out because that's the one that's going to get the eyeballs. So for a lot of us, and I, I mean, we will probably never know, but for how many people do you think our impressions of that day were formed in those first moments of watching? Well, I think if you weren't there, that's the only way you had an impression formed. If we weren't there in person, um, I think for a majority of people, the media defined that day for us. At least the video did. Um, there was so much to read about after. But, you know, we're um, we're living in an era that we call the CNN effect now, where we expect to watch news as it happens. And so our first experience with an event usually is watching it live, and then we process it later. So I think that that initial consumption was so jarring for many of us to see the, the Capitol surrounded in the way that it was, uh, I think that it, it was very difficult for a lot of people to process. I think a difficult thing in this, too, was, and I don't know how many other parents like me experienced this. My kids were still home doing virtual learning. One child I was able to oh. insulate from it. My older child caught on to what I was watching, and so we had to discuss it. Uh, and you want to so, talk about emotions. Well, so which words did you choose to describe it, Mom? <laughs> that was that was a tap dance. Right, of course it is. And it's a tap dance that all news organizations should make. But in many cases the uh, the whole idea is to go for the drama. So let's say this for sure we are we're going to see more crises in this country. Yes. I mean, we have in history. <clears throat> so let's look ahead and give people maybe some tools for how we wrap our brains around the next crisis that we see in this country or world? Uh, The number one piece of advice I would give is that if you are seeing something that gives you a strong emotional reaction, whether it's anger, fear, disgust, excitement, happiness, any huge emotion, that's your clue that you need to probably take a breath, check other sources, um, check the message for authenticity for sure. And ask yourself the classic questions, who's the sender? And not just who's the sender of the message, especially if it shows up on social media, but where did that message originate? Because that could be two different answers. Uh, Who's the intended target? How is the message created to get my attention? Who profits from this message? How could someone else interpret this message differently than me? And like we mentioned before, the most very important one, I think, is what information is left out. And remember that the first reports aren't always accurate. And that breaking news brings out the fakers and the photoshoppers for sure. And I would say, I would add to that as well. I think uh, breaking news brings out the speculators. <laughs> Even the best journalists sometimes speculate. And so I would warn people about that. You know, if you have a if you have a news person who's saying it could be this and it could be that, uh, that's a or, red flag. Or sources are telling us, or other sources are reporting that sort of thing. Yeah, just be cautious. Um, well, I think I've, that I think that's sage advice for even when a crisis isn't happening. Be cautious. Yeah, I found myself uh, switching from source to source mm-hmm. 
to see who was reporting what. And I, I would recommend that um, because I'm sure for a lot of people, work stopped that day. Work absolutely stopped. Here's another weird piece of advice, which is I catch the irony since this is a radio station. I wonder what my processing would have been like on that day if I had turned the volume down and just watched and not listened to what people were telling me I was seeing. Mm -hmm. Maybe I could have made that decision on my own. Right. Well, Julie Smith, thank you so much for joining us. She is going to actually stick with us because we're going to kind of keep in the same vein We're going to be joined by the folks at NewsGuard. They are an organization that basically looks at information sites. I love them. And tells you whether (laughs) they think they're reliable or not. So we're going to ask them some hard questions about how they figure this out. How do they decide that something might be information or misinformation or not? Uh, Melissa Golden, a staff analyst with NewsGuard, is going to join us next on KMOX. Joining us on this Wednesday night, I'm Megan Lynch. Julie Smith, uh, media literacy expert, is staying with us because we're talking about lies. We're talking about misinformation on some major media sites. And NewsGuard has done a report a year after January 6th and after the elections looking at how many sites that they identified then and now that are still sending out misinformation. Joining us to talk about it is Melissa Golden. She's a staff analyst with NewsGuard. Melissa, thank you for being with us. Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me. So, you know, just for folks who might not be familiar with the mission of NewsGuard, tell us a little bit about your organization. Sure. Um, So NewsGuard's mission um, is to identify which sites uh, generally uh, publish credible information and which sites generally publish, uh, generally don't publish credible information. Um, So we do that by looking at each site in detail um, and finding either examples of misinformation that they've published or proving why they do publish credible information um, and then writing a very detailed explanation of that. Um, And um, our users can see our assessment of those sites um, on our browser extension. Now, I know one of the things that sets NewsGuard apart from maybe some of the other fact-checking sites is that you use journalistic standards. Um, So tell me a little bit about, you know, go into a little more depth about how you gauge these, these platforms and sites and, you know, what specifically you're measuring them by? Yes, that's correct. Um, We have nine criteria that we evaluate sites on. Um, So five of those criteria are related to um, editorial standards. um, And then five of them are, are, sorry, four of them are related to their transparency practices. Um, So, for example, a couple of our credibility criteria involved, do they publish false content? Do they handle the difference between news and opinion responsibly? Do they publish corrections? Um, In terms of transparency, we look at whether they label their advertising clearly, whether they disclose who is in charge of the content on the site, things like that. So really things that, um, you know, credible news organizations have these standards, um, and those are the ones that we look at. So looking specifically at this report and the tracking that you've done on election misinformation, give us a sense of what you saw, 
in 2020 and what has continued now into this year? Yeah. Um, so in 2020, um, we were tracking websites um, that were spreading misinformation about the 2020 election. Um, we started um, tracking um, starting on around Election Day um, and then going through the inauguration on January 20th. Um, and in that time, we identified um, about 113 sites. Um, those are the 113 number um, is the one we used in our current report because there's a couple that um, are no longer active. So we excluded those from our data. Um, but we identified those sites in 2020 as spreading misinformation about the election, um, voting, um, absentee ballots, things like that. And then this year, we wanted to see how many of them were still spreading misinformation about the same topics a whole year later. Um, and we actually found out that out of those 113 U.S. websites, um, we also looked at websites um, in Europe, um, in the countries that we covered, Germany, U.K., Italy, and France. Um, but out of the 113 U.S. websites that we identified in 2020 um, as having published election misinformation, um, 81 percent of those are still publishing misinformation about the 2020 election, um, including about the January 6th attack on the Capitol. Um, they're still doing that one year later. Um, and then in Europe, um, we also found sites last year that were publishing, publishing misinformation. And so if you're including those European sites, 72% um, of the total number of sites um, is still publishing misinformation. Let's, I think it's important that we define misinformation. Are, you know, are we talking about facts that can't be proven? Are we talking about distortions? Are we talking about maybe not uh, giving balance? You know, um, give us a sense of what, what that means, you know, according to this study. Yeah, so there's definitely a lot of uh, different kinds of misinformation, as I'm sure you know. In terms of this study, we were really looking at black and white, can it be proven, um, can it not be proven? Um, so, you know, this we weren't looking at examples that had a lot of gray areas where it was kind of a matter of judgment as to whether, like, how true or how not true it is. Um, like, for example, uh, one of the quotes that we pulled out um, from one of the sites uh, that we looked at, um, they were claiming this is the, the exact quote <laughs> that they had in their report, um, quote, the truth is that Trump won and the media doesn't want America to figure that out. So that's pretty black and white. So th that was the kind of misinformation we were looking at. So give us a sense of, you know, were there like a few of them that you can say these are the worst offenders of the bunch or, uh, you know, do you do you rate them in any way? In ter well, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 there's not really a way to say out of the ones that we looked at in the report, which one is the worst. I think that's a matter of judgment um, because, you know, there's so many outlandish claims that they make. There's definitely sites that get more engagement than others um, simply because they're maybe more well-known. Maybe they're, they have a better presence on social media. Um, there were a couple of the sites that we name in our report that, um, you know, maybe got a lot of attention or just had really outlandish claims that stood out to us when we were looking at this. Um, the quote that I just read was from um, OAN, One American News. Um, for those who don't know, it's a 
pro-Trump news channel. And then um, we also mention um, some claims from the Gateway Pundit, the conservative website, um, I believe Newsmax. Um, uh, yeah, there, the list goes on and on. <laughs> I'm curious, and this may be kind of an obvious question, but why include the European sites as well as the U.S. sites? Yeah, well, we um, NewsGuard operates um, in some European countries as well, um, so we have that data. Um, but beyond that, um, I think it shows that this is really a global problem. It's not just contained to the U.S., even though these topics uh, might be beginning, um, this misinformation might be beginning with topics related to the U.S. Um, So we we found that uh, misinformation specifically about the U.S. election on January 6th um, has been spread on European sites, but also um, that misinformation can kind of be um, used uh, for sites in Europe to create um, their own misinformation about related topics and kind of use those same narratives. Um, so it really, we're, you know, we're, we, we, my, my editor likes to say we used to be an exporter of democracy. Now we're an exporter of misinformation, unfortunately. <laughs> so when we come back, we need to take a break, Melissa. When we come back, I want to talk to you about who's funding some of these sites, because I think that might be uh, really surprising to a lot of people. So stick with us. We'll be back in just a moment. We are speaking with Melissa Golden. She's a staff analyst with NewsGuard on KMOX. Nearly a century of informing, entertaining, and serving St. Louis. KMOX. You can't hide your lying eyes. And your smile is in disguise. Welcome back to KMOX At Your Service. I'm Megan Lynch, and I'm joined by Melissa Golden. She's a staff analyst with NewsGuard. They basically rate information and let you know whether sites are accurate or not. And they've done a big study looking at the information that's been published related to the 2020 election all the way up uh, through the anniversary of, of course, the the events January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. Melissa, you know, it's not just that these uh, organizations are publishing what you're saying is misinformation, but there are brands that are advertising on these sites. Tell us a little bit about your research into that. Who's who's putting their money into these sites? Yeah, um, so we found um, that out of um, the... So in total, um, we looked at 113 U.S. sites and then including sites from Europe, that was 159 websites. Um, and we found that on those websites... 892 major brands uh, were financing them through programmatic advertising um, during the time period that we were researching. So that's September 1st uh, through December 1st of this year. Describe for us what programmatic advertising is, because I think maybe a lot of people in our audience may think that, well, the advertisers themselves are choosing which sites they want to go on, but that's not necessarily the case. Yes, that's a great question. Um, So if you're on a website, uh, you might see what's called display advertising, um, which is your standard ad. It's pretty obvious that it's an ad. Um, You know, an advertiser might place it on the website, but programmatic advertising um, is usually done uh, through specific companies. And so an advertiser, um, you know, might be a client of the company and then the company places those ads on different websites. Um, So the advertiser might not even know 
where their ads are going. Um, and that's actually a, a segment of NewsGuard. We offer our services so that advertisers um, can make sure their ads are on credible websites instead of uh, not credible websites. You know, when you talk about that process, and I don't know if you can talk about, you know, what your clients are, are doing in that avenue, but, you know, are there companies that say, oh, I didn't realize this is this is what was happening you know, how do I keep my ads from being placed on such and such a website? Yeah, I'm not really um, so much involved in uh, the advertising aspect of the company. I'm on the editorial side. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's we, we point that out to them um, when we talk to them and say, did you know your ad uh, was on this website? And I would imagine that many of them uh, do not know. <laughs> now, Melissa, it's one thing to say that these sites have this information or misinformation but it's another thing to know that for a lot of these sites, that information is shared over and over and over again through a lot of different platforms. What difference does that make when when we're talking about, you know, what people are taking in from these sites? Yeah, absolutely. Um, people um, these days um, don't necessarily read uh, news directly on the websites that are publishing that news. So they might an article for the first time on social media um, and not even realize where it's coming from in the first place. Um, so you, they might just see it and say, oh, you know, my friend posted it. It must be true. Um, but that is definitely not always the case. And so when misinformation is spread, um, like it has been about the 2020 election, January 6th, it spreads very, very quickly. Um, and that's not always good information that's spreading. <laughs> And I guess it's those clicks that then make more money for that programmatic advertising? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, these sites um, are making a very surprising amount of money sometimes. <laughs> so, you know, the thing that whenever we bring up this issue that a lot of people say is, well, there's just people that you're not going to change their minds. Um, they're they're going to believe this regardless. So, you know, for for your organization, what's the what's the goal and what's the purpose of doing this? Yeah, um, so our goal is really just to give people more context for the information that they're reading online. Um, so we know that there are people that we're never going to convince what's true and what's not, but um, that's not really our main goal. Our main goal is to give them the information and then they can do with that information, what they want to. Um, so we're just trying to give them the transparency that might not necessarily be on the sites that they're looking at. And hopefully um, that helps them become more informed. Now, the one thing I'm curious about when it comes to election misinformation and Julie Smith, who's a media literacy expert, is sitting in. She was part of our first segment. Um, you know, we were talking about a lot of the sites that were brought up, like Gateway Pundit, um, that we're familiar with here in this area, and some other sites are, of course, um, uh, conservative, more conservative sites. What did you see on the other side of things? Did you did you see the same instances of misinformation coming from the left? Yeah, we well for this particular report, we didn't um, really look at um, liberal versus conservative or anything like that. Um, so I don't have specific numbers on that. Um, but we did see, um, you know, since Trump did lose the election, we did see many um, narratives surrounding that and um, that um, you know false claims that the election was rigged, um, things like that. So that was definitely a consistent narrative uh, through what we saw. 
So, you know, for someone listening tonight, if they want to gain some of these tools for themselves to analyze the information that they're seeing or say they see a headline that is shared from a friend on Facebook or Twitter, what would you recommend they do to know whether that information has been distorted or is just out and out false? What are some red flags? Yeah, um, well, I can definitely say that um, you should use NewsGuard because um, that will help you determine <laughs> <laughs> what's generally reliable and what's not. There you um, go. But uh, <laughs> beyond that, um, I mean, I think uh, you should look at where the headline is coming from. Is the source generally reliable? Have you even heard of it before? Um, you know, what what kind of a reputation does it have? And then, you know, reading multiple sources from different perspectives. So, um, you know, this is what one source is saying, but, you know, what is another major news source saying? What is a more independent news source saying? And kind of collecting those different perspectives and seeing if you can find a common theme kind of it's how I like to look at it and really just not siloing yourself into an echo chamber of your own beliefs. Um, just kind of getting different factual uh, points of views from uh, different places. And Melissa, where can people find more information both on um, this report looking specifically at election claims um, as well as, you know, other information about NewsGuard itself? Yeah, so everything about NewsGuard, including uh, this particular report, uh, can be found on our website at newsguardtech.com. And we're also on social media, Facebook, Twitter, um, all the big ones. (laughs) All right. Melissa, thank you so much. We really appreciate you joining us tonight and, and spending the time to talk through this with us. Thank you so much, Mike, and I appreciate it. Again, that is Melissa Golden. She is a staff analyst with NewsGuard. Well worth a look. So, Julie, you've been sitting here. You were listening to this. Um, I want to work there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, you know, for me, this journey of looking critically at what we do in our business. Right. um, You know, started with meeting you and learning what you do as far as teaching media literacy. And I'm going to get another plug in for our our podcast. podcast. It's so fun. Um, If you go to KMOX.com and go to our podcast page, you can find it. It's called What the Media. Our first season, we looked at some things kind of like this. Right. You know, how to vet information and how to look at word choice that we spoke about earlier this hour and things of that nature. And then we did some behind the scenes as well. Yeah, the second season was more about um, us peeking behind the curtain at how all the media messages we consume are created. So it's been it's been really fun. It has been fun. I think one of the most interesting ones was when we went to the Post-Dispatch and spoke with the editor of the Post-Dispatch. Right. That was interesting. But we went to music as well. So. We've uh, done it. We've done it all, Megan. Yeah, book publishing. So, and we're we're formulating ideas for what we're going to do this year. We've got to kind of keep churning it out. But we hope you'll you'll check it out. What the media? It's at kmox.com. Uh, Julie, thank you so much um, for for joining us. Um, some parting thoughts for people as we kind of move into some other areas this next hour. Um, well, yeah, I would encourage people to to recognize the difference between misinformation, disinformation and malinformation. So misinformation is kind of what Melissa mentioned, um, mistakes that people make. Disinformation is defined as mistakes or untruths that are created deliberately to mislead. Okay. So 
misinformation, I feel, is almost kind of a misnomer for what we're talking about because really what we're talking about is disinformation, right? Uh, then there's malinformation, which is information that's false that is created specifically to harm. And so I, f- I feel like those terms are important to keep in mind because there really is a wide variety of of untruths out there. Well, and I think it's it's interesting, too. You know, we brought up with Melissa, with NewsGuard, the fact that this information, people are not necessarily going to those sites directly. Right. They're getting it through other platforms. And what's interesting, too, is that if we receive information from those sources through a social media platform, that source doesn't necessarily get the click. Um, Facebook is the one getting the attention and therefore the revenue, not necessarily the news source. It's, and it's really interesting the way that all works out. And the next loaded question is, therefore, should they get the scrutiny, which is a big debate already. Well, that yeah, that's what I wondered. I, I That's what I wonder about NewsGuard. They're spending all this time analyzing sites. What are they doing for the platforms? Because the platforms is where things really get messy. Well, Julie, thank you. I'm sure we'll be talking to you a lot more <laughs> in 2022 um, as we probably as we had to midterm elections. Oh, goodness. Yes, yeah. we better buckle up. <laughs> So so thank you for joining us. And uh, folks, next hour, we're going to shift gears a little bit and we're going to look at uh, your banking. What kind of fees are you paying? And young people in your life may be paying a lot more. Remember the days when we had free checking? I don't know if that happens anymore. People don't even have checks anymore. That's true. They don't. So we're going to talk about the fees that people are paying at the banks. We're going to get a preview of the jobless figures that are due out this week. There's weekly numbers due out as well as monthly numbers. What are those going to tell us? Um, Are we going to see interest rates go up? There's been a lot of indication that the Fed's going to do that. We're going to talk with Mark Hamrick of Bankrate.com. Also, we're going to have a little fun. We're going to go to the Consumer Electronics Show underway in Los Angeles and look at some of the latest tech being introduced. I understand one of them is a smart faucet that will do all, yeah, if you wave your hands a certain way, it'll give you hot water, it'll turn off. Yeah, we're gonna talk about that coming up next hour on KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.